Well, good morning, uh, Orangewood. As the uh, Kids Stampede leads, uh, leaves now, it's great to uh, see all of you. And uh, if you have a Bible, we will be in Matthew 6. Uh, you can follow along in your Bible or on the screen behind me as I read. This is God's inerrant and inspired word that is given to us this morning in love. Matthew 6, and it says this. And when you fast, uh, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, uh, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Uh, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Before you take a seat, let's pray together. Gracious Father, we're grateful for the gathering of your church, sinners in need of grace, broken people in need of your gospel. And so, Jesus, this morning, would you remind us of that? Remind us of your faithfulness as we've just declared in that song. You are the same God, the same God. You're telling the same story. And so this morning, would you make that story real to us? In Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, uh, it's great to see you. I was away for a couple weeks and uh, grateful to have uh, Mark and uh, Pete preached during that time, and it's just wonderful to know when you go away, uh, uh, full trust uh, in uh, our team here. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Joe had mentioned uh, in service, and if you missed it, that uh, we have exciting new development here at Orangewood of uh, development with Forge Men's Ministry, and it's coming in to kind of take over and replace our band of brothers and so uh, I want to encourage you, uh, men, uh, regardless of age, stage, and life, uh, to join us after church uh, in the patio. Uh, so if you're not sure which one's the patio, uh, the, this patio is the one where the coffee and donuts are. So that should clarify everything. Um, but we're going to meet in the patio right after church uh, to hear from Pete a little bit, share a little vision about Forge um, and Forge Men's Ministry and to have you, if you have any questions, to ask him. It'll be a really short meeting, um, uh, but this is just a great opportunity for us as Christian men uh, to engage relationally with one another and to be sharpened by one another. So make sure to make just a little time after church uh, in the patio uh, to hear from Pete about Forge. I'm excited about this new endeavor for our church. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, uh, we have been in a series uh, through this kind of Lenten season, uh, taking us up to Easter called Kingdom Come, uh, where we're looking at what does it mean for this gospel, this grace uh, to begin to work its way from the inside out in our lives. And today, we're actually covering uh, an often misunderstood and misapplied piece of the Christian life called spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. 
And Jesus, in this section, we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, is talking about one of the main spiritual disciplines called fasting. Now, what is fasting? Uh, Well, uh, this is not intermittent fasting. I know some of you are doing that. That's not this. Um, uh, This biblical fasting uh, in this time uh, through the centuries was centered around abstaining from food or drink for spiritual purposes. Uh, around the time of Jesus, uh, uh, it would have been known, it would have been part of the rhythm of the people of Israel that they would fast. We read about uh, the Pharisees, that they fasted twice a week. That was, uh, you can read that Luke 18. Um, and notice in our passage, Jesus doesn't say, if you fast. He says what? When? When? When you fast. Uh, the, the, the idea for Jesus, the assumption we get, and all commentators agree, is Jesus is putting this forward as a practice for his followers. But why would Jesus invite you and me into fasting? Why, why, why would he want to do that? It's because fasting reveals so much of what is going on in our hearts buried underneath the food. Um, You know, God is so kind to us. He will give us spiritual teachers, uh, wise teachers into our lives to guide us. And then God's really nice when he gives you those spiritual teachers and you marry them. And my, my beautiful wife will tell me sometimes, she'll say, she'll say uh, Tyler, you're hangry right now. You're, and if you've never heard that expressed, it, it's uh, you're, you're angry because you are hungry. Tyler, you are, you are hangry. Fasting exposes, what, what am I looking for for satisfaction? Uh, what, what, what has my attention? Is it the, the temporal pleasure of this food? Or, or, or is it the eternal pleasures of fellowship with the Father? Where is my satisfaction? Is it, is it with God and life with God in his kingdom? Or is it this amazing Big Mac? And we all know two hours later that Big Mac will not bring you satisfaction, by the way. So what, why does Jesus invite us into the spiritual practice of fasting? It's because the spiritual practice of fasting, other spiritual practices, they are a spiritual x-ray to, to, to see what is going on underneath the surface. What, what? do I really hunger for? Fasting creates the spiritual space to ask that question. But what does fasting reveal? Well, if you are like me, fasting reveals that it is hard and difficult. 
I remember in college, uh, I was a student and we had a person come in to speak at a a, a gathering and they chose to speak on fasting, uh, why we needed it in our lives. And and they challenged us as we left. They said, this next week, I'd like you to do a a simple fast uh, from from sundown to sundown. I want you to fast from food for that day. Can you do it? And of course, being a zealous college student, I jumped right in that week and uh, I didn't eat. I remember I didn't eat that night, um, dinner. I woke up the next morning through breakfast. I, was, I felt great. I felt, oh man, look at me. Look at this. Look what I'm doing. And then lunch came and it hit like a freight train. It, it, it I felt like a demon from Stranger Things was growing inside of me. I was so irritable. I was so frustrated. Um, I, I was dealing, I was on edge and I began to actually daydream about what I was gonna have for dinner that night. And here is actually the really sad part to that first adventure in fasting for my life. I actually wasn't even fasting. I, I, the, the, the person had said, um, listen, I want you to f- refrain from food from sundown to sundown. Can you do it? I said, yes. He didn't say I couldn't have Mountain Dew. Anyone else love Mountain Dew as a college student? Man, I had six Mountain Dews that day. On an empty stomach, I had enough sugar intake for the entire week. So I wasn't even really fast fasting, though I thought it was. But um, I kid you not, God as my witness, I was so miserable. I was, I was hanging on by a thread. I ended up looking on the computer. When does the sun set today? I remember I just sat in my apartment waiting, waiting, waiting. When will that sun go down? When will that sun go down? When can I finally eat? As I sipped another glass of Mountain Dew. I don't know how many of you have these idealistic pictures in your mind of how you imagine things going in a situation. I, I imagined in my mind, this was just going to be this great experience, this time with God. I imagined I'm going to read the scriptures. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for uh, the place in the world where the gospel hasn't gone forth. I'm going to, I'm going to pray about uh, uh, how God becomes more real in my life. Uh, but none of that happened. In fact, I think I was closer to punching someone like John Wick than actually fasting and reading my Bible. Fasting is hard and difficult. Richard Foster puts it this way, quote, we use food and other good things to cover up the sins inside us. If pride or sensuality, if anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting, end quote. Fasting is hard and difficult because it exposes what's really going on down there. Secondly, 
Fasting reveals that it is mostly a neglected practice in the church today. We desire fasting about as much as we desire a colonoscopy. And uh, if you're here and you don't know what a colonoscopy is yet, just wait. Jesus said, when you fast, uh, this practice was given to the church. And we actually find early documents, uh, one document, the Didache, very early in the life of the church. They were, it says the church fasted uh, twice a week. Um, uh, we see the Puritans, uh, uh, part of our church tradition, the Puritans fasted a corporate, kind of together dated a fast. Um, but Richard Foster points out from 1861 to 1954, there is not one book, not one book written on fasting. <laughs> no one wanted to touch it. So fasting is a neglected practice. And finally, fasting reveals that it can be quickly sabotaged. Uh, look at what Jesus says in verse 16. And when you fast, uh, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. It tells us that this beautiful practice, this, this invitation God has given you and me to step into his kingdom, to life with God, uh, can be sabotaged very quickly. We can turn the practice uh, into a performance. Uh, Jesus says here, uh, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. This, this word for hypocrites at that time was, do not look like a play actor of that day. Um, uh, in that day, what that meant was, uh, do not wear a mask. Do not be a performer. Do, do not be a pretender. We can turn the practice into a performance. And friends, please hear me. This is why spiritual practices, religion, this is why it is so dangerous for you and for me. We can turn the practice into a performance where all it really is is a way for me to live out my life before others. I remember hanging out with a, a friend in college. I think this was about the same time I got my invitation to fasting. This friend of mine, they got their invitation for fasting, but uh, they didn't want to just do the sundown to sundown thing. Uh, they told me, oh, I actually am going to do a three-day fast with water only. Um, and so uh, if you ever saw the movie Spinal Tap, uh, he decided to take it to an 11. And, and uh, we would interact here and there. And I remember hanging out with him during those three days uh, that he was in this spiritual fast. And friends, he could not help himself. He couldn't help himself telling everyone about this spiritual fast he was doing for Jesus I honestly think he took an ad out in the paper just to let everybody know. I remember we went to this party one time and um, it, he, people kept asking him, hey, hey, would you, would, you, would you like something to eat? Hey, would you like a piece of cake? And, and, and every time uh, he would say, no, 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 I, I, can't, I can't eat right now. I'm doing a three-day spiritual fast for Jesus. 
He couldn't help himself. Don't you see this is exactly what Jesus is talking about in this passage. This is exactly what he's getting at. We, we, can, we can sabotage all these good things that he's inviting us into and we're using them for improper motives. Uh, we'll have Jonathan Pennington with us in a couple weeks. I'm really excited about that. Um, he puts it this way. The desire to have others reward one with praise for piety is a powerful drug. That's a, that's a sentence. Wow. Fasting, other spiritual practices, our obedience to God can get sabotaged because we begin to use them as collateral for how we believe our life should go with God. Uh, we turn these beautiful practices into merit before God and others. And in the process, we, we lose the gospel. Uh, we, we, will, we lose the, the gift of grace we've received that, that's really supposed to be the motivation for it all. And we end up living as if we are saved by our own works and our own record. And we can slip into turning these practices into collateral. Why? It's because we are all looking for merit. We're all looking for a righteousness to tell us that we are good. And nothing, nothing sounds sweeter coming off the lips of the self-righteous than when they say, sorry, I can't have cake. I'm on a three-day fast for Jesus If you can't tell, I don't like that guy now from college. <laughs> and don't worry, I'm in counseling. We're working through it. I heard a woman about who had two sons. Um, she uh, loved to tell everyone at church where she regularly attends. She wanted to tell um, about these two sons because they were both in ministry. Uh, they were pastors. And, uh, and she would come to church every Sunday telling about these special boys. Um, but then something happened. Um, word, word came out that one of these sons had divorced his wife and left his kids. And, and, and the news came out more and more. He, he, he left the ministry. And now he had gotten remarried to another man. And this mom was so angry. She was so furious with him. Uh, he, he, would, he would call, she wouldn't answer. She wouldn't welcome him into her home. She was so angry. But she was only secondarily angry at him. She was primarily angry at who? She was angry at God. God, how could you do this to me? I've been so faithful. I've done everything you asked. I raised the kids exactly as I was supposed to. I was supposed to do exactly what you said. I brought them to church every Sunday. I brought you everything I possibly could, and this is how you repay me. I did my part, but you 
didn't do yours. And guess what happened with that woman? She left the church and she never came back. The great poet T.S. Eliot has dialed in on humanity's core and uh, for you and me. He said this, we are absorbed in the endless struggle to think well of ourselves. I see this a lot with couples, particularly um, when there is a new baby in the house. Who is going to wake up with the baby? Um, who's going to wake up and change the diaper? What is, who's going to respond when that beautiful, joyous, smiling baby wakes you up at 2.30 in the morning? Who's going to get up? Who's going to change the diaper? And here's how you know your practice has become a performance if you offer perceived merit. Uh, if in that moment of that beautiful <laughs> crying wake-up call at 2, 3 in the morning, uh, your response in that moment was the baby starts to cry. Who's going to get the baby? The self-righteous one will always say, they'll always point to the scoreboard. It's above the bed in case you're wondering. It's your turn. I was up last night. I did this. I changed the last diaper. Look at the, the scoreboard. Now, the scoreboard is invisible, okay? Just making sure we're tracking with the metaphor. <laughs> but friends, oh, it is there. It's there. Maybe not young, new, baby stage, but every stage of life, because Elliot says, we struggle to think well of ourselves. Sometimes I cannot help myself. I cannot help telling Rachel all the good things I've done. I'll say to her, hey, just want you to know I did the dishes. Hey, just want you to know I moved the wet clothes to the dryer. Hey, I don't know if you're aware, but I paid the bills this past week. Um, at this point, I'm surprised she hasn't gotten me a microphone so I can tell the whole neighborhood. T.S. Eliot said, quote, we are absorbed in the endless struggle to think well of ourselves. Now, now, please notice this. Jesus doesn't say, because your motives are always mixed, I want you to stop doing it. I want you to stop engaging with spiritual practices. Engaging. That's not what he says. He says when you fast. And, and the interesting thing is there, there are people that are fasting the wrong way. So it, the, the image is not people who are fasting and people who are not fasting. They're both fasting. But they're doing it for completely different reasons. I, I think of um, the, the story in Chariots of Fire, right? You know, uh, Eric Lindell and Harold Abrams. The, it tells the story of these, these runners, uh, sprinters from the 1924 Olympics. And, and it gives this picture. Both are running. Both are incredibly fast, but they run for two polar opposite reasons. Uh, Eric, it, it says, he, he runs because uh, he, he feels uh, God's, uh, God's delight in him. So, so, so Eric is running from his con contentment and grace. 
But then there's Harold Abrams who, who, who runs for contentment and grace, trying to earn, trying to gather enough merit. And at one point in the movie, uh, they begin actually to have a conversation about contentment uh, right before a race. And this is what Harold said. He says, contentment, I'm 24 and I've never known it. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what it is I'm chasing. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. Friends, can you hear the absolute exhaustion in his life? I've got 10 seconds to whether my life has any meaning or worth at all. If, If my life has any merit, it's gonna be determined in these 10 seconds. Have I done enough? Where have you turned grace into a scoreboard in your life? J.C. Ryle said it this way, there is something in even our best works that desperately needs to be pardoned. What does our fasting need? Well, I think... Our passage gives us several things around fasting uh, and all spiritual practices. But the first one is fasting, other spiritual practices, they need regularity. It it, it doesn't say if, it says when, when we do these things. Uh, The picture Jesus gives is there's there's a rhythm to them in your life. Uh, Is someone in the church, uh, you know, afterwards they, they, they pull Pastor Mark aside and and they say, hey, I, I hear you were like in this really awesome band. That's pretty cool. And uh, Pastor Mark says, yeah, that's right. Don't ever forget it. He would never do that, by the way. But the, this person says, hey, I hear you in this band. And I would love to learn how to play guitar. And so Pastor Mark says, sure, I'll, I'll meet with you. And uh, they meet and uh, he, he shows them some chords and they come back the next week to go over those chords and then to teach them some new chords. And this person says, oh, well, I, I didn't practice at all during the week we were apart. And actually, I don't plan to do any practice in between the times that we meet and get together. Now, the question is, does Pastor Mark keep teaching this person? Well, it depends on how much they're paying them. But the second question is, does this person actually learn guitar? If so, in this rhythm that they are operating in, it's going to take a very, very long time because it needs some regularity. And your spiritual practices and my spiritual practices, they need a regularity for God's grace to, to, to work in, under, and through in your life. So that's the first one. Second one, it needs secrecy. Secrecy. Uh, look at 17 and 18. Uh, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's a secrecy to our life with God 
and to our works where we don't need a microphone to declare to the world what we're doing. But that life with God would be the reward in the secret and private places of obedience in response to what God has done for us in Christ. So what does that mean for me? Maybe that's how I'm looking at it. What does that mean for you? That means I can wash the dishes and I say nothing. Hopefully this week. It means I don't have to go back to the scoreboard every stinking time I do something good. And it definitely means whatever notch I put there that they didn't offer it as collateral for what Rachel is somehow supposed to do or my kids are supposed to do. Because we have God's affection in Christ, I don't need, I don't need, I don't need the praise and affection of others. I can live in a secret place in contentment. I can love others in my office, my home, at my school without being noticed. Here's a question for you. Where are you longing for the approval of others so much that you are dying inside because nothing is ever enough? Jesus invites us to see that our lives need a secrecy with God. He sees, he knows, he's watching. That's all that matters. Regularity, secrecy, and finally, specificity. Jesus tells us the goal of these practices, fellowship with your father, fellowship with your father, time with your father. That's your reward. And so the means to that are actually not that important. It's the motives. So it could be fasting. For Jesus's audience, food and drink were the primary lens through which they saw fasting and engaged in it. But today it may be something completely different for you of how you engage and figure out where am I finding satisfaction? Uh, Is it with God or something else? And so for you, it may be a digital fast from your phone. Um, It could be a social media fast. It could be a shopping fast. It could be an alcohol fast. That was usually not very popular in Presbyterian churches, I know, but... It is a possible fast. It could be a a Netflix fast. And you may be asking right now, Tyler, Tyler, how do I know which one I should engage with? I was like, okay, that's a great question. And that's a question I can't answer. You have to answer that with God. But what I can ask you is this. What feels like it would be the hardest for you to give up? That that might be a place to explore. What could be impeding your fellowship with the Father? I share this and I hope it is helpful. Uh, about five years ago, um, we were just, you know, living life in Michigan. Um, and I began to notice a rhythm in my life. 
uh, I, I began to notice um, uh, after we got the kids all down for bed every night uh, that I would have a glass of wine. Every night, I get the kids in bed, have a glass of wine. Now, I was not uh, staggering into church. Um, I, I, I was not uh, stumbling around the house. I wasn't unhinged. But it was this every night, kids in bed, rhythm. And then I noticed one glass turned into two. And I said to Rachel, I said, Rachel, do I have a problem? And she said, I don't think so. But I think it could become one. And so it became a place for me where I need a fast. And I went through a season of that because I could recognize this was impending my relationship with, impeding the relationship with our father. I think God would be inviting you to fast to either something that is burning you out or numbing you out. Burning you out or numbing you out. For some of us, it would mean for you a fast from always being on. Like an email comes into you and it's like, boom. I, I don't care what time of day it is. I don't care if it's the weekend. I'm responding. I am on. What would it mean for you not to be on? Um, what, what would it mean for you you... You don't have to always help the next person in need. Like, what would that mean? What about a fast? You may be burning out. On the other end, you may be numbing out. You could be finishing the night with a glass or two or three. Um, you could be binge eating or binge watching or binge scrolling. What about a fast? Think specifically about what could be impeding your relationship with the Father. So there you go. Fast. Do it regularly. Do it secretively. Do it specifically. There you go. Uh, get to it. You've got it. You're going to make it. No, you aren't. Um, I maybe gave you just enough guilt to get you through lunch. But what you and I need is a greater perspective, a richer perspective that keeps us from the shame of how little we seek intimate fellowship with the Father and also the shame of how we've used spiritual practices as collateral to keep God in our pocket for our life. Where do we get the perspective we need? Well, friends, this morning, I want to just draw you in, as we sang about even, the story of Jesus. To be drawn in to the great story God has been telling for all of humanity. You see, the reality of the brokenness that exists in this relationship with spiritual practices and, and fasting uh, actually began in the beginning of humanity. Do you, do you recognize this? In Genesis 2, uh, God says to Adam and Eve, he, he says to them in the garden, listen, um, please uh, do not eat from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good. I, I want you to fast from that tree. Uh, don't do it. Uh, and what happened? Well, Genesis 3 happened. 
uh, they eat from the tree. And it tells us afterwards they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. Essentially, since the fall, you and I have been trying to earn our merit. We've been, we've been trying to put something on that says we're enough. We've been trying to do something that tells us we are enough. Think about it this way. When was the last time you talked to somebody in casual conversation and they didn't tell you they were busy? Like, when was the last time you had a conversation with somebody and they, like, <laughs> they, they said to you, you know what? This day is so wide open, I, I don't even know what I'm going to do with myself. We need to see the perspective that allows us to take down that invisible scoreboard in the office, in the house, at your school, the scoreboard where we keep going back to, have I done enough? What is the perspective we need? We need to see that we are just like Adam. Just like him. But the great news for you and me is there's a better one. There's a better Adam. In fact, in Matthew 4, it it, it tells us, this is right before the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus has been taken out into the wilderness to be tempted, just like Adam was. he's, He's running the same play. It's the same play. He's being tempted in the wilderness. And, and, and what does it say about Jesus in Matthew 4 in the wilderness as he's being tempted? He fasted. He, he fasted for 40 days and, and 40 nights. In, in this place of temptation, he is fasting for you. He was tempted. Uh, Jesus was brought to the very end of himself for you. And he never burned out and he never numbed out. And the Bible tells us all who put their faith in him and what he has done they will receive the clothing of righteousness, the clothing of merit, the clothing of enoughness. This clothing is not fig leaves, but the Bible tells us it's robes. Uh, Robes of royalty, uh, robes of splendor, robes declaring this morning, regardless of how you've lived, because of Jesus, the better Adam, who fasted for you, you're part of God's family. Always, full stop. You are a child of God. You have child of God status, regardless of Mountain Dew, binge or fast, regardless of bloodshot eyes from watching Netflix too late in the dark. Because Jesus fasted for us, those who've put their faith in him, they have received robes of royalty. This is unbelievable good news. But it also meant for you to receive that from him, he would have to receive from you. And he took your place. He fasted for us to have the Father's fellowship. And what that meant is he lost the Father's fellowship. Do you see that? Like, on the cross, he took our shame. He, 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 he took our, our rebellion. He took the places where we have just completely gorged out on life. 
And he was stripped of his garments, stripped of his royalty. So that right now, right here, you can know with faith in him, you are a son or a daughter of God as we declared in song. Friends, the story of the Bible is not your ability to fast. It is seeing the one who fasted for you to bring you home. It's seeing the story reaching its fulfillment. That is our hope. That he was brought to the full end of himself so that you would know the depths of God's love for you. The depths that God would go to bring you back home. The depths that God would go to give you robes of royalty when we will never deserve them. There are not enough notches on that invisible scoreboard in your own, at your school, in your office. But God declares to you right now, you are enough. You are enough in me because of what I have done. Friends, do you see Christ's love for you this morning? Do you see that this intimate relationship with the Father is available to you right now throughout your day, regardless of what happens? His perfect love. His perfect love for you. This is what the gospel is. It's not your ability to hang on to God. Please hear that this morning. It's not your practices. The story of the gospel is God's ability through Christ to hang on to you, to keep you, to bless you, to declare over you his promises that will always be there by faith to those who put their trust in Jesus. That's the grace that will change you and move you. That's the grace that will turn disciplines from chores that have to be done to keep him happy into wonderful, beautiful places of conversation with God that I get to have because of what Christ has done. Would you go ahead and stand as we close this morning? The, the Puritan, the Puritan William Cooper, I think put it well as we end this morning, how the gospel changes our fasting and other disciplines as a response to the gift of grace. And he said this in a song in one of his hymns, to see the law by Christ fulfilled and to hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, remind us again today of your grace. The grace that meets the prodigal who's run and the son who stayed home. Grace to meet us as much as we have tried to hang on to you, we keep slipping. But the grace that no matter the grip that we lose, the grace that holds us and keeps us and by faith will always bring us home. Remind us of that so that duty becomes choice. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen.